Welcome, everybody. How much do we really consider and think about documenting effectively, compassionately, and ethically, you know, free from bias? This notion of bias, is it relatively new? Is it an impact of patients having greater access to their records? We all have bias. Many times it's unconscious, we're not aware. How can we bring more awareness to those biases we are documenting our care or the patient's response to the care they receive and even the involvement in their care and to do so mitigating any bias we have? Some of the challenges we noted that you offered when you registered for today's webinar included lack of acknowledgement that bias is occurring, patients seeing things in their chart and getting offended, and teams not thoroughly documenting out of fear of offending, gender appropriation for those who are transgender, charting in the form of microaggressions, or awareness of the impact of wording and the impact of unconscious bias. These are just a few of the things we will be exploring with you today. I'm Deanna Frings. I'm part of the Healthcare Experience Foundation team, and I'll be moderating our time today, and I'll introduce our two presenters in just a few moments. Since many of you may be joining us for the first time, we thought it would be helpful to share a little bit about us, Healthcare Experience Foundation. At Healthcare Experience Foundation, we believe the why we do what we do in healthcare and how we go about caring for others is important, if not more important than what we do. We believe that in every single encounter of care is an opportunity to build trust, to enhance confidence, and to foster the belief that all who come to, to us for care do have the ability to reach their full health potential to achieve better health outcomes. And here at Healthcare Experience Foundation, we strive every day in partnership with those we work with, people just like you, to support your efforts in achieving and evolving your cultures so that every person can receive and or deliver the best healthcare experience. And today is a great example of the many ways in which we do that, whether it's through this webinar, or engaging in one of our many certificate programs, or through coaching or training engagement. We provide ideas, research tools, and inspiration to deliver the most compassionate, highest quality, and safest care possible. So we are grateful and want to thank you again for joining us today. Here is a look at our team, very passionate and dedicated thought leaders who, from my humble opinion, have so much to offer, to generously share, and are eager to also learn from you. And as promised, here are our presenters for today. I'm gonna to turn it over to them to let them introduce themselves, as well as to share why this topic is so important to them. I guess I'll go first. Thanks, George. <laughs> My name is Dr. George Maisel. My background is internal medicine geriatrics. Um, I've done a little bit of everything in healthcare. I've uh, been a, was in practice for a number of years. Um, I was also chief medical officer of a number of hospitals and systems in different parts of the country. I was CEO of a clinically integrated network. Uh, I worked for Vizient for a number of years and then uh, written a number of books on um, everything from physician alignment to population health to uh, 
burnout and resiliency. Um, so a little bit of everything. And I'm, uh, I guess I'm, why this is important to me, I guess some of it, I'm at a point in my career where um, I get to pick the stuff I want to do and I get to pick the fun stuff. And I, I hopefully get to pick the stuff that makes a difference. And I think this is one of those areas that um, with the EMR and, and some of the new things happening in healthcare um, kind of gets lost in the shuffle, but has huge impact on patient outcomes. Thanks, George. Rob? Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Rob Minkus. Uh, my background in clinic, clinical training is in general in pediatric uh, surgery. I practiced for many years. I've had healthcare leadership roles, and I currently serve as an uh, executive professional coach, physician coach, uh, consultant, and also am helping to open up a new medical school. And my passion stems from uh, real, the approach to make uh, lives better for all of us. We focused for many years on improving the patient experience, improving patient outcomes. We know we've had some challenges in so many of those areas, but we've also struggled, right, ourselves as organizations, as teams, and as frontline providers for healthcare, and finding those pathways for us to engage, to connect, and to improve really has led down this path towards a passion in uh, uh, finding a way to approach some of the initiatives around our diversity, equity, and inclusion. And this includes uh, uh, an answer to the call that we heard loud and clear from uh, whether we're at the ACGME convention or working with medical schools, residency programs, and organizations around the desire to do more, to understand more, and going from the organizational level all the way down to that personal level of what can I do, right? How can I begin to think about it? And what my passion is, is how do we bring this coaching approach, which is a compassionate and curious approach towards all that we're talking about so that we can connect, we can engage in these conversations that have really tripped us up, whether it's just the language we use, our discomfort with us. And, uh, and this applies to uh, a charting and the medical record. And uh, as, as important as it is, we have tremendous opportunities to do a little bit better. So building on that, as we get forward, part of it, our approach is to have as much interaction as we possibly can. And, and uh, although several shared uh, when you signed up, we're gonna do what's called a chat waterfall. Think of something that you've seen in a chart that has caused you concern. And the interesting thing is, here's another perspective. We only think about the negative things that we see, but when we look at charting, we see actually positive bias or neutral bias that's inappropriate. So write something in the chat and we'll give about 20 seconds for you to put in there. And I'm gonna to participate too, since there's uh, a limited number of us. So type something that you've seen concerning and in about 10 seconds, I'm gonna ask you to hit send. And we're already seeing it. So go ahead and just type it and sit send. Fat, combative, concern, you really, uh, combative, fat, mentioning someone's aesthetic. That's what I said, non-compliant, non-compliant. The list goes on. And the whole idea is for us not to set up an environment where we can't discuss it, right? Because when things happen, we usually come very hard uh, uh, 
against those who have, have, have committed the action. And the whole idea is how do we begin to normalize the conversation? And when we start to flip it around, as we move forward, think about what does the patient see? Our patients and families have full access to our notes. So type in something that you think that they see or they feel when they see these things. So I'm gonna type mine. I put in lack of trust, right? We diminish the trust. What, what else do you think our patients see? Disrespect it, right? Confused, offended. And right away, we can see how this directly impacts our patients, their experience and potential outcomes. And so these are the types of exercises. So we, we're often asked, well, what is actionable? What we just did is actionable with your groups. Finding examples, finding small examples, everything we pre present is a means to go beyond uh, discussing that it exists, right? I think everybody here knows that it exists in normalizing the process in really a safe environment and uh, a non-punitive environment. Okay, and getting to some examples, uh, let's start with the, the, I think a little bit humorous first, just to sort of set the right stage. Uh, claims to be allergic to housework. Hmm, where have I heard that before? Um, a couple ones that actually came out of medical records. Patient was admitted for a gunshot wound. Discharge instructions included avoid gunfire. Um, the best way to avoid diabetes is not to weigh 405 pounds. Um, patient has a known small brain for which there's no cure. Obviously, it should have been small brain tumor, which I'm not sure that's the right way to say it anyway. But um, we get into some more Im implicit bias stuff. And we talk about words like difficult. We talk words like challenging. Um, patient refused. Um, patient is incarcerated. Patient has no shoes. Um, and then, you know, on the other side, we see sickler, which is probably spelled wrong there, but it's like for sickle cell disease, um, which by the way, we finally have a cure for. Uh, frequent flyer, drug seeking, crazy, um, practices certain lifestyle things. All those things get in the medical record and, and they all have um, an implicit bias associated with the words. So the words we use become really, really important. And one of the challenges, the EMR has done a lot of great stuff. Um, it, it's made all the records in one place. It's let it communicate across clinics, um, but it's also allowed things to perpetuate. Um, the problem list often doesn't get updated. So the problem list just keeps going on. So once something's in there, it's in there forever and everybody sees it. Um, and, it and so uh, it can really cause this problem. The other thing is, um, I know it's not supposed to happen, but we all know that it does what we call the famous cut and paste, where you cut and paste something from the record and you just bring it forward, perhaps without even reading it thoroughly. So the same, if there's some information in there that may be inaccurate or biased or, or not quite correct or prejudicial, it just keeps being carried on. Um, so there's all sorts of issues in the, in the EMR, which takes these problems and really um, makes them much more public. The other thing that I think Rob mentioned um, is all of a sudden patients are reading these and and sometimes they don't understand all the words, but sometimes um, they're insulted by things they either don't understand or things they do understand. So again, um, we have a much broader audience now um, for these 
public records and EMR charts than we ever had before. So um, the ramifications are much greater. So what we know, and I think everybody on this call knows this, is that the research demonstrates that there's unequal treatment out there of patients. Uh, there's a lot of healthcare disparity, disparities, and you can see the list up there. It's racial, it's social, it's older, it's elder, it's literacy, it's obesity, substance abuse. I mean, there's a whole litany of, of things that can be anything, but all these can be a negative perception that once it gets in that chart can often be carried forward. So somebody who who could be seen in another hospital, if they have access to the EMR and, and, the, and the, the words get carried forward or if the words get translated into the problem list, drug seeker, for example, um, all of a sudden there's a bias that's already created, which may or may not be true. And, and nobody really ever goes back to the source of that information and sees that eh, maybe that patient had a kidney stone and needed narcotics. Um, you know, there's a lot of things and, and things sort of have a way of getting very lost in translation, unfortunately. So what we're talking about here is bias um, and biases. All of us have biases. We don't mean to many of us, but we all have biases. They can be positive and they can be negative. And whoa, Sorry. one of the things I <laughs> always think about with bias is when, when you say like a kindergarten teacher, all of us have this thing in our head that pops up of what a kindergarten teacher would look like. That's our way of dealing with sort of, you know, processing information quickly. But that, that might, that's a bias because we have something in mind that we automatically just equate to without really thinking through it. And again, it's a way of dealing with a lot of data and it's a, it can be a positive but obviously the biases in healthcare that we're talking about now can also be um, quite negative. So as we talk about biases, we really talk about two different types. There's the explicit bias, which we're all aware of when, when you know, somebody really has a true prejudice and it, it's, it's out there. But what we're really concerned about here, or at least want to bring to attention is this unconscious or implicit or unintentional bias that we all have. It helps us make decisions better. It, it's 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 something that's adaptive in behavior that we had to learn, you know, from eons ago. It, it helps us function better in society, but obviously it, it's also in there. And if we're not conscious of it and we don't focus on it, it can cause the kind of things that we're talking about in the medical record or, or at the patient interface. Next slide too, let's just jump ahead. The goals of the medical record, um, you know, it's really supposed to be to translate, you know, transmit information about the patient's clinical history. It's supposed to include details about the medical condition. And the big thing, it's supposed to be very objective. It's supposed to be just an information source. Um, and this may be perhaps my bias based on a lot of research and information, but the medical records, the EMRs now that we use, were really not created for all these purposes we see on the screen. Um, they were really created to help capture charge data originally. And now they finally starting to evolve to be better vehicles to translate clinical information. But at least most of my peers feel like they're still got a long ways to go. It takes a long time to enter data. Um, it does a lot of great things with interactions and, and with correlating information in the same place. And um, those of you maybe as, as old as me with the gray hair still remember when things were scribble soap notes, which was, believe me, not an improvement. But still, there's a lot of things with the EMR that we have to be cautious of, and um, we, we still got a ways to go. But it's really supposed to be a very objective 
a source of clinical information to help take care of the patients and a way of clinicians to communicate um, with each other. And as you'll see soon, it's not just the clinicians and that's where it gets a little tricky. So here's the stakeholders in the medical record and there may be even more than this. Obviously the, the main stakeholders are physicians and consultants who, who, who are entering day-to-day -day progress notes, but obviously nurses in the care team be a physical therapist, uh, respiratory therapist, whatever, uh, they're all involved in the medical record and entering notes too. And then of course you have the billing services who's pulling out diagnoses and, um, and converting them to DRGs or other billing um, criteria. Administration is looking at them um, for certain situations like QI and um, quality in, in assurance. That should be assurance, not insurance. Um, Hopefully not, but unfortunately, lawyers are looking at the charts as well. Um, patient and family are looking at the charts, as I mentioned earlier, and that's a huge source of, um, of potential problems and obviously quality indicators. And again, somebody told me this early in training a zillion years ago, or maybe a zillion or more, um, but it really stuck with me. And that's the thing you see in the bottom of, of the, the uh, slide here. Never put anything on the chart that you would be embarrassed if it was up on the front page of the newspaper um, or if you are reading it aloud in a deposition. Um, so yeah, again, and we all have emotions. We all get upset about things, um, but the medical record is not the right place for it. So there's there's the, the, the and we'll talk more about the overt stuff, but but uh, what, what we're also talking about here is, is the um, covert stuff that you're not even aware of that we're doing in the medical record. We know that there's a lot of a potential bias that gets lost in the medical record. There's a study by Anna Gotti um, who, who showed, and again, people are kind of aware of this, that um, in a hypothetical chart note showing stigmatizing language, um, they were more likely to have a neg negative perception of the patient and less likely to give the patient pain medications. Um, so again, it, it does have outcome implications um, when we're not careful what we put in the chart. And again, we can also see in, in the next slide um, that other studies show that black patients were two point uh, two and a half times more likely to be described with negative descriptors in the medical record compared to white patients in some studies. And again, what happened was there was consequences to this. Um, when the patients were described by symptoms, uh, this, descriptions that were difficult or disruption, disruptive, um, the diagnostic accuracy drops. So again, we, we there's outcomes associated with some of these things we put in medical records. And you can also see from the slide, another study about um, decreased response to pain in records that had some stigmatized language. So, um, and there's a ton of studies that show that um, that this kind of thing it happens. Um, most of it is, is uh, hopefully inadvertent, but still the outcomes are the outcomes. Um, we're not going to spend a lot of time on what I affectionately call chart wars. I am curious, maybe folks could slip in the chat box, how many folks have seen what I would call chart wars? And, and when I say chart wars, what I'm talking about is when physicians or physicians and nurses or nurses and nurses or different consultants get involved in disagreements in the medical record. And I'm not talking about a friendly, um, we have a difference of, of opinion on diagnosis, but when when it gets sort of, um, I don't want to use the word belligerent, but when it gets um, inappropriate to the point where they're really um, hashing it out in the medical record. I'm curious, if folks would sort of put, if they've seen that in the, in the chat and maybe without getting too personal, if they've sort of seen something, um, you know, they could maybe even give a, a 
brief, brief description. Anybody? I see at least one yes. Many, many times, okay. And again, I, I think if we all were honest, um, we've all seen it and we've all seen it many times. And um, the challenge is, you know, who who is the, you know, who benefits from that? Um, and, and the really answer, the, the nice polite answer would be nobody. The, the more less polite answer would be um, perhaps the legal profession. Um, but nobody benefits, you know, from, from those kind of, that's not what belongs in the chart. And again, you know, as chief medical officer, I'm sure I've had to deal with, I'm sure Rob has too, is, is having discussions about what belongs in the medical record and encouraging people to pick up the phone. Because again, a lot of these things can be, you know, it's not important that clinicians agree with each other. It's important to have the discussion and figure out what the best course of treatment for the patient is, even if they disagree. And again, it just doesn't belong in the medical records. Um, and here's a couple of my, you know, my pet peeves. Um, and again, the short staff thing, I mean, that certainly doesn't belong in the medical record or frankly, even in my opinion, in discussions with patients, because, you know, people are not very sympathetic to hearing that. Um, the disagreements that we talked about, team conflicts, uh, re refused to, you know, re refusals to consult um, or to see the patient. Um, there's, you know, how you handle the discharge. Um, all those things, there's so many things in the medical record. You know, I've seen cases where, you know, discharge of okay with 30 people and things. There's just a lot of things in the medical records that just really don't really belong in there. Um, so I'm curious, I don't know if we can open up the mics for a minute or if people are comfortable sharing or they can put in the chat. Anybody have any sort of stories they want to share or feel comfortable sharing? Again, with being careful to to not, not get into the HIPAA space, but um, just some general stories. I can share a story. Okay, if, uh, if, if And they happen so frequently, we become a little bit immune, immune to immune to them and and they seem subtle but they're not so subtle and they can range from so many uh missed opportunities including communication between nursing teams and physicians and consultants sometimes we're writing the same thing and it appears different to the patient but other times it is and it's often that it becomes the I'm overworked and I'm stressed and not me. This person needs to be observed. No, this person needs an endoscopy. No, this patient needs a surgeon. And there's a clear lack of communication and uh, care coordination. And this escalates. And oftentimes it comes to light when there's been a complication or somebody notices and it gets escalated either to a chief medical officer or uh, even risk, risk management in a legal situation. And the numbers are, even as a clinician, I experienced it, you know, uh, and, and, and I guess we have to reflect, and this is where the growth comes, what was my role in it? So in the middle of the night, I was called about a patient that a nurse was concerned with, addressed, addressed the concern, uh, and, uh, you know, had been managing the patient, managing the patient actively in the morning, was called Dr. So-and-so many times who chose to do nothing. That's what the nurse wrote about me. I chose to do nothing, right? And so that's in the chart. That's in the chart forever. And 
you know, did I not, did I not? So I turned that like when it happened many, many years ago, it was all about what that nurse did. Now it's like, well, perhaps then I, I, I was not effective in my communication so that the nurse felt heard. And we had a discussion about what their concerns were. I obviously didn't do a good job with that. And the resultant, uh, documentation was there. So if we start to think about not just what shows up, but the depths and the things that are so important as we care for our patients and uh, building our self-awareness and our teamwork uh, uh, goes deep. I don't know if anyone else has anything to share, though uh, I, I find it fascinating because it's far more uh, uh, pervasive than we think it is. Nina, well, this I'm, is, I'm, yeah, go, oh, go ahead, Nina. I was well, just going to call on you. Hey, and I'm unfortunately, I don't know how to work my camera, but I'll pick <laughs> up on um, the uh, thing about the um, teamwork. And the example I'll use is that um, we have um, teams and they're, um, you know how different people practice different ways. There's this one particular psychiatrist that she makes it her point to point out and name how she didn't agree with a treatment plan or how um, I would put a person on a controlled substance, but without even reading the chart, without even knowing how long I've been treating that person. So, and then she'll give them a seven day supply, but she would make sure she would document, not just me, but on all prescribers, because she just had something against controlled substances. So the patient, of course, you know, some mental health records they can't get. So this patient got some of his records and that happened to be one of the notes. So I've been getting phone calls by, um, I mean, they already don't trust us. So if we're having that conversation and she was getting upset because I wouldn't respond to her emails, but yeah, that's my example. <laughs> and and the, the frightening thing about that whole thing is, is what does it accomplish from, from the point of view? Does, is, is it a try to protect yourself from, from malpractice? I mean, it doesn't. It, 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 doesn't, it didn't make sense. It still doesn't. The patient, they, they, I mean, they're stable. Nothing is going, it, she, she just makes sure that she yeah. points out, and I'd like to say it may be her trying to, you know, mad practice, but she doesn't even have to renew the medicines if she's uncomfortable. So whenever the patients, if they call me now, basically I explain to them different providers have different preferences <laughs> and they, tra they treat different ways, but I can justify the things that I've done. And if at any time you want to switch providers, I am perfectly fine with that. They never do. Cause I mean, I've, I've, I've worked and they know I've, I've worked hard to get them stable, but yeah. yeah. So that, that's, that's me. And again, I guess my what 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 concerns me here is is I'm not even going to get into the medical aspects of what's right and what's wrong, mm -hmm. but what she's done is is help erode the trust um, yes. in, in the patient, and and that's the part that um, has a potential negative outcome. Mm -hmm. Again, yeah, not even getting into the right or wrong clinically, um, it's just not the way to handle those kind of things, at least in in my opinion. And it's not, and and like you said, the trust is the thing, and and it. it the patients that she's done it with, they do, they, they'll call and, and, um, and that's their question is, well, I don't, I don't know. Do you need to be writing them? You know, and, and that, that's something I've taken a long time to build. She can knock down real quick because some of them catch on to that. And it, it's just been tough, but anyway, somebody else may have an example. Yeah, no, that's a great example. Thank you for sharing. Um, hi, my, hi, my name is Denise Epps Harris, um, and I work in the, the hospital setting. And so, yes, yeah, so I do agree that, um, you know, writing that you're short staffed because I, I oversee rehab. And so, and of course, there's always a, 
uh, short staff <laughs> um, um, situation. And so when I always try to tell the team, like, you know, the patients don't care that we're short staff. So we can't use that as, as a reasoning and definitely not to document that. Um, I do think that a lot of people, um, when they, I've seen actually where, you know, people will write something negative either about rehab or about doctors um, and how, and their, I guess their communication. And so, and I think that is, it's kind of like twofold. I think that they are trying to protect their license, but think I also think there's sometimes a little bit of passive aggressiveness in that as well. Um, but that's just not the place for that to be. Um, so I think one of the most positive moves that became evident is that now patients are able to access their records like right after they're seen for whatever you know for in their medical records um in their portals so i think that's like one of the best things that has happened with patient care um so that you know um i think then that will make the um the stakeholders more aware of what they're writing yeah no great point absolutely yeah but that short staff thing, it, it does, I don't think, documenting, I don't think it protects anybody. Um, but any other comments? Great comments. Okay. Rob, I think you're up. So for, for this group and, 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 and most of the people we work with, it's not about the education uh, that it exists. It becomes, how can we, elevate the conversation, how can we connect and make a difference? And so much of what we focus on in a coaching approach is what can we do as individuals? And it's important to take it from a number of, of aspects. And everybody, and if, if we, uh, as we move forward, it's always great to have tips and pitfalls. And you can we can read these in a second. If we take a step back in what uh, George mentioned is, right, if we reflect, what is the purpose of the medical record? And how am I being intentional and mindful? We're not. I was never trained to do it that way. And I, I have done a lot of, put a lot of the things we know can be harmful within a chart, just based on my own experience and bias. That's, that's what happens as human beings. Normalizing that process is understanding uh, uh, and understanding is important. So we start asking questions, right? What am I trying to say about this patient versus the condition, right? Is the information uh, relevant to why the patient is being admitted and seen for? We are labelers, comparers, and judges. We believe if somebody has had a problem with something, it has to be there. And we were taught to do that. You know, doc, doc, Dr. Minkus is a so-and-so year old, you know, race, gender, with the, a litany of past problems, because we believe it informs what the diagnosis is going to be. And if someone has had a behavioral health problem, boy, we like to put that. Substance abuse, that goes front and center. Difficult we put those things on. So what am I trying to say? What are my intentions at a clinical level? And what is relevant here? And to Dr. Maisel's point, George's point, 
you know, we, we, we have to put things in the chart for our level of acuity, for billing purpose, insurance purposes, that really has not worked to serve the patients or our organizations outside of the financial needs. So are the symptoms we're talking about, right? Are they evidence given by the patient or is it based on just some assumption that I, I, I'm feeling and assigning? And are there any pieces that we're leaving out, right? We omit sometimes important information. So once we begin with those questions, right? We're gonna come at it with a curious approach, curious ourselves, pause. We don't have the time to pause, but we can build that in and it becomes automatic. Things to avoid are those financial things that were listed. Uh, so we can just go back for a second, just to read through the list. And uh, you, you can add to this. And, and again, this is takeaway, blame or self-doubt. There are so many categories, as I mentioned earlier, what we often do, we question credibility, right? Right. Uh, the patient insists the pain is here. They insist the pain medicine isn't working. Uh, we express disapproval, judgment. We stereotype. We say there's a difficult patient or we, we, we make decisions. And again, I mentioned earlier, we have positive biases too. And we have to be very careful. And I've seen it a number of times where we say so-and-so is charming or pleasant. You attach an age to it, you attach a race to it, a gender to it, it comes off uh, 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 as expressing our bias and sometimes in harmful ways. We express approval, right? Not just disapproval. And uh, the list goes on. And it's important not to over-identify and, and personalize, which we do. So our approach, if we go to the next slide, is really to take a, a coaching approach around frameworks of understanding. And it's on us. And my example that I used earlier is how, how did I grow my self-awareness to even reflect? And, and I have not talked about that example before. And while I was talking about it, I turned from what was written about me to what was my role in it. So we have to increase our self-awareness, understand, as George mentioned, this isn't intentional, right? We have bias because we grew up in a culture and it reflects our culture and our exposure. And we also know that bias, it forms, it does become part of our brick and mortar, but it can change when we question it and we're motivated to do that. If you haven't heard of implicit bias tests, uh, those can be helpful just to shed some light. So we become objective observers of what we're doing. And then we can become educated just even on the process. How do we have these conversations? What is it? What can we do about it? If we're having some uh, and can recognize our bias, what can we do to mitigate it? How can we become more comfortable, comfortable in having discussions? And, and we talk about this all the time. If we call it a certain thing uh, in a certain way, half of of, of the audience we're looking to are gonna turn it off right away. How can we become more uh, connected and more engaging? So we build that understanding and we do that with each other. We do that with our patients, that's empathy building. And I, I'm not a fan of the word trigger rec rec recogn uh, recognition, but that's a common word we use. What generates emotion in it? And it's emotion that drives our behavior. If we're able to pause and reflect, we've all heard about the pause. How do we build the tools to become more intentional with the, with, with the pause? There are some organizations, and you can look up, there's data out there on using a bias timeout, 
you know, what that could mean for you as an individual, your team or your organization, adopting just some strategies that can help. And then making that conscious choice, right? When we build that space with the pause, build that in, right? That grows our awareness and we can behave in a different way, which can, you know, then be reinforced with practice. And as we move forward, what we do is we build the frameworks and models over this interpersonal growth coaching framework. And a coaching framework means a couple of things to a coach, right? We adhere to certain principles. So uh, creating that safe environment, like we, we, we talked about that space. And it's important in order to grow our relationship with others, we have to grow our own self-awareness. And that takes open-mindedness. And that's pretty tough because we all like to believe we're self-aware and we're open-minded, but we do have, you know, information and, 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 and data to show otherwise. So to begin those discussions and not ever in accusatory way towards ourselves or towards others, it's working beyond that idea of feeling guilty about things, uh, feeling shame about those, and, 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 and finding that curiosity and compassion that includes ourselves so we can better interact with others. And what is the knowledge that we need to obtain, right? And what are some of the things we need to unlearn? If, if I find that I'm being biased in a certain way, what do I need to unlearn? So something that was so uncomfortable for me, and, and really so much of this came to light since the pandemic, we had social unrest, political unrest, uh, and, and, and really exposing a lot of the health disparities. You know, it, 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 it's un I was uncomfortable with the word bias. Now I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm using it in a way that is, is normalized, privileged. You know, the word privileged, so uncomfortable I was with that. Now I can speak about it. And how have I done that? If you look at our team and the conversation, we have conversations and dialogue. And there's never any accusation or shaming or blaming, and it becomes a normal process in that safe environment. What are those skills we need to practice? Active listening, reflecting. If we do those with our patients, we do them with our family, we do them with our colleagues, with our teammates, we start to see that our relationship, right, right that connectivity that we talked about, uh, starts to grow, which are ever important. And that applies to just bias and in, in, in saying, you know, what is the small thing I can do to make a, a difference? And then we practice and we reflect, we're going to make mistakes, but getting beyond that fear of making those mistakes really is impactful. And then being committed to that lifelong learning process. And this, this framework underscores uh, our initial certification program, which is found uh, foundations in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what we do with that is we set a baseline with an introduction, some working definitions, some agreements for communication. Uh, we apply uh, uh, the concept of cultural humility, which is the step beyond cultural competence, right? We need cultural humility if we're ever going to achieve any degree of, of cultural proficiency. And, and this will impact charting that we talk about. We apply what we've all learned about emotional intelligence. We go into depth about implicit bias to normalize the process. We, we, we address civility and belonging, right? We know we're, there's an ep epidemic of incivility, right? Amongst ourselves, 
from our patients. It comes from everywhere and that creates a stress environment. And we really talk about putting it together, what it means to be inclusive leaders. And that taking a, 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 that support approach, right? We need to support people where they are and then appropriately challenge helps us to grow. And I just wanted to spend a moment because we it's time for us to move beyond an acknowledgement of a problem and the stress of a problem and asking ourselves, what are the questions we can ask? And then what are the small steps we can do to make a difference? So there's a question in uh, about positive bias. It, so, so positive bias is more of a, 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 has a little bit more complexity in it. Uh, some of the risks in the positive language is uh, showing, it's asking the question, am I doing it to, to, based on an implicit bias? Would I be doing this the same for everyone? And so I do believe we need to stay personal in the chart, especially with our charts reading it. So if we're reflecting something that the patient has achieved and they've told us and they feel really happy about it, when they read that, yes, it, 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 it might encourage them and show that they've been heard, uh, but we don't do that evenly. And that's, that's the thing to, to, to recognize. So whether we're complimenting, whether we're showing approval or minimizing blame, we know we blame, you know, marginalized uh, or, you know, uh, populations more than we do uh, majority populations. And we tend to over-personalize over with people we identify with. That's just part of our bias. It's becoming aware of it and intentional in knowing how and why we're using it. And I don't think in and of itself is just a bad thing, though it plays into the uh, uh, perpetuation of our current status. So be mindful of it. Why are we doing it? Why are we not doing it? Neat situation. So as we become more aware, you're going to take the same chart. You're going to look at it now. In a year, it's going to look different. In two years, it's going to look different to you when you look at it. In 10 years, it might look different. And so it's changing our relationship and understanding the, the situation without even passing a judgment, whether something is good or bad without having a, a means of, of measuring the outcomes. And, and the thing about our patients, right? We're not good at measuring micro experiences, right? For the patient, we, we measure, you know, we, we have surveys that we follow and outcomes we follow. And some of this happens on a level that, that it's hard to, to, to measure on the micro level, but it's important and does contribute to those things that we are able to measure. Does that answer your question a little bit? George, anything to add to that question? No, I think that, you know, you know if you say um, positive bias things in a chart, I, I'm, always, I'm always thinking of um, myself as I, as, when I get treatment as a doctor, um, there's sometimes a tendency to very much overdiagnose and overtest, and there's a tendency to undertest. And so we want to we want to be balanced. So I think it's some, um, I think that that, that 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 balance can be lost with positive comments as well as negative comments. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and then the other thing that popped in, and I mentioned it earlier, when we call somebody personal, it's like the you know, it's it's we've become aware of 
how we use the word articulate. And we're very mindful of how we use our language now. So how we use the positive language and who we use it with is different sometimes. So it, it, it's, it's a nuance that we're all working on to learning and understanding. Uh, so the third thing is finding some exercises we can do with our teams or our, our, ourselves. And someone had mentioned earlier, you know, we, we see the microaggressions or the macroaggressions that we've heard about in the charts and the use of, uh, of the language and doing exercises. So and when we've, and we've seen it so many times and I've written it, patient refuses X, Y, and Z. Right? Has anybody seen that or used that if you've written in a chart? How could we reframe that? Right? How, how can we say the patient does you, you, refuses? We could say, well, a suggested reframing might be, well, the patient's not tolerating it, right? For, you know, or, or explaining in a way that isn't so judgmental, right? What with people who have substance abuse problems, we the, the, we label those patients and treat them in a way that uh, if we step back and look at it, it, it's, it, it doesn't honor where any of us come from and what we desire to do. And it's because it's, you know, of the difficulty in treating patients. So we transfer that onto the person, right? Uh, how we talk about people with mental illness, right? There, it's, it's a schizophrenic as opposed to a patient or a person with schizophrenia. So doing exercises to start to reframe is very important. And then the idea, I think George brought up frequent flyer. Uh, and we have means because of cost containment, some patients get labeled as frequent flyer. Does, I'd like to see in the char chart, does anyone know or have programs with uh, a, a frequent flyer? And the danger with frequent flyer, and uh, I've seen it more than once where we think someone's gonna keep coming back, they come with a real problem, they get bounced out of our emergency room and we have bad outcomes. So there are some real problems with how we label. Words or phrases have you used that are more neutral? Is that, to, that's to everyone. Is that, yeah, Dan? Yeah, I just thought people might wanna share some of the sure. uh, neutral language that they have found effective. And here's some good strategies that demonstrate that. So if if, if, if people and 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 I I would have to say that you know in my journey I'm it's not always clear off the top of my head what I would use. I and so that introspection, that being self-aware and being intentional about what we're doing helps us to see it in the moment. And some examples here are you know, how do we know what the patient's preferred title and gender is? And it's, it, it's an interesting thing. I've started to interview medical students for the first time in many, many years and asking people, just students, and, and, and thinking about how I miss opportunity to ask patients, right? How, how do you like to be called? Or even what someone's pronouns might be, if, if it might be important to them. That's not something I was comfortable doing. I'm becoming comfortable. See, this is a growth process and a journey process. Acknowledging feelings. We're not always good at that. And acknowledging isn't judging. It's holding someone where they are and reflecting. Yes, this, this is hard for you. 
in, in demonstrating collaboration, right? We discussed treatment options and the patient decided or the patient and their family or the patient wants to include so-and-so before making a decision. Uh, we heard a, uh, a recent example where uh, in a medical record recently that a patient visited for a routine visit, were offered a flu shot, and the, the answer was, no, we're going to go get it at CVS. My husband and I are going to get it. And in the chart, it showed up, the patient refused the flu shot. Right? That, that, and, and I don't believe anyone meant anything by it, but that's not what happened. The patient said they're going to get their flu shot elsewhere, but it just, it could have been a click box. It could have been anything else, but they, but they refused, refused it. The, those words that sh showed up in the chart. So you can think right away that a more neutral way of doing it was the patient will have their flu shot at an outside facility. So you can you know, look here from the patient perspective, you know, what is their experience? How can we demonstrate compassion, right? That, that's a skill that we work on and have to develop because when we're working, we don't always feel it. When we do that self-awareness work and open-minded work, we, we know that it's there, but we're not always feeling it. And so what can we practice and what can we do? What can we reflect on? to demonstrate that, especially in our documentation. So these are just some tips to take back and some strategies. And in this short period of time, we don't have a lot of time to go into depth and discussion and explore uh, what we're doing. And it's acknowledging this issue. And I think we've all felt it and it happens in, in so many levels uh, throughout healthcare in general and so much of of, of what has happened is not by design. It's what happened just based on how the system uh, has developed and, and, and functioned over the years in healthcare. And so it's on us to begin to participate, begin with ourselves, begin with our interactions with patients, with our teams, and start developing those skills that we need to, uh, to address some of these issues in terms of uh, what's showing up in the medical records. So before we uh, come to our close, Rob or George, I do see another question from Kenya looking for suggestions on how to uh, more neutrally document frequent, uh, frequent flyers. Yeah, I mean, I think the answer is just um, be very specific on exactly what's happening. The patient has been seen in the emergency room, um, you know, six times this year or several times for the diagnosis of X. I think you know, what we don't want to do is lose valuable information here because we want to be so politically correct. Um, so we want to make sure we that we get, you know, the appropriate, if it's if it leads to, um, you know, so information that the clinician needs. So I think being very specific on exactly what's happening is probably okay. The word frequent flyer connotes, um, at least to me, an unnecessary visit, which really, you know, we don't know if that's true or not. Um, Rob, you want to add to that? I think it's one of those things that developed in, you know, trying to uh, do better in terms of, of resource utilization uh, and preparedness and, and in our documentation just to know what's happening so somebody doesn't get an unnecessary 10th CAT scan, right? So in and of itself, 
though, if you think about it, if, if, if I start to think about if I'm a patient, would I want to be labeled a frequent flyer, regardless of the situation? So I think, well, what would happen to me? What, what kind of a state and situation would I be in to be a frequent flyer? And it certainly wouldn't be the wonderful, privileged life that I enjoy based on my unique experience. So I begin to have empathy with the individuals. What would that feel like? To, 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 to be called that. And so it's having those discussions. Play, the, 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 I think, you know, there was a flag of an airplane in, in, in a, pl a, a place I worked with, you know, to denote that they're frequent flyers. And so it's being mindful of what are we trying to achieve? And, right, it's, it's a yes and what is the potential negative impact this can have. And it can have very dire consequences for the patient and not just in, 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 in developing empathy. So it becomes a frame, right? Like, like how, what, what questions should we ask about it? Because we're driven, we know we're driven by the pressures that are dictated to us in healthcare, right? And, and, and they've come from many outside sources. And those of us who work within healthcare you know, we're, all, we're left scrambling and trying to catch up and keep up with all the changes that don't always make sense to us. And often they're, you know, driven uh, uh, by financial matters, which doesn't always resonate with our personal values. And that creates some of the, uh, uh, of the moral injury that we experience in trying to provide the best care. So it's becoming more intentional and, and more mindful. And I wouldn't say it's necessarily one over the other. So how can we look at it, ask the appropriate questions and withhold judgment on it, right? Understand the need, why we have it. Maybe we have to have it, right? There are some things that are necessary. And then what are the unintended consequences that might happen ahead of it, knowing that we're dealing with human beings because we do that. So if we're working, think about all of the, the people who we'll see from registration from, to uh, in, uh, uh, tech, to the nurse, to the APPs and the physicians, everyone who looks at that chart is going to think, you know, like George said, kindergarten teacher, we're all gonna have our view of what that is and act accordingly based on that. The goal is how can we reframe it a little bit, broaden our perspective and, and take that pause to do something a little bit different to ensure we're treating the patient as you know the human being that they wish to be treated, perhaps the way we wanna be, be treated, right? It's the platinum rule, right? We need to treat our patients the way that they want to be treated, not the way we want them to be treated. So it, it, it's, it's both those things that help us reframe and approach it a little bit differently. And this starts with us and then working with our, with our team so that we can begin to, to, to make that change. I hope that answers a little bit. So we began with our uh, certificate program as a baseline and the, the idea about uh, the skills and the tools that we need really extend into our ultimate outcome in trying to achieve health equity, social justice, and what are the skills that we can apply uh, to that in the patient experience. So 
uh, uh, in January, we're having a certificate program that really dives into where we are, the status, talking about things that get dictated to us, right? We know that there are things at the national level that hospitals are needing to do in terms of data collection. That in and of itself is problematic, right? How we collect data, right? How, how we interact with our patients. So we're, we're having a certificate a program that goes into the what it is and then uh, uh, specific strategies uh, using our framework to move forward. And we're going to have a more in-depth uh, uh, program on uh, better outcomes for our patients in terms of charting. And you can see the learning objectives here where we are going to go into these specific skills. And what I think the transformation in all of the work that we're doing right now is, is moving from inspiration, right? We can find inspiring talks and inspiring information. We need to be empowered and our teams need to be empowered to participate and to have conversations and dialogue and solve these issues together that where it's not dictated. And those are, you know, uh, some of the main underpins uh, that help us in terms of these learning and objectives. Thank you, George. Thank you, Rob. We really just started our conversation today related to our topic, talked about some very specific ways in which to bring more neutral charting, to be more aware of our biases and the influence it might have on what we document uh, patient visit to patient visit. So we really hope that you're walking away with at least one tangible takeaway that you are uh, excited to take back to your organizations for further exploration. And also thinking about joining us in 2024 as we uh, dig deeper uh, into this important topic as well as other topics related to health equity. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind, we invite you to share maybe one tangible takeaway, one thing that you uh, uh, heard today uh, uh, that really resonated with you uh, in the chat as a parting uh, thought before you uh, click off and enjoy the rest of your day. So we really appreciate you spending this time with us. Thank you, George. Thank you, Rob, uh, for always sharing your thought leadership so generously uh, and very meaningfully. So with that, I'll say goodbye and look forward to seeing uh, those takeaways uh, that enter into the chat as everyone logs off for today. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks everybody.